Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, Episode 8, if you can believe it, Bubba. And today we have a story that is just incredible. Rick, it is an incredible story. It's an incredible American story of success. We have from my pillow, Mike Lindell. Mike, welcome to the show. Guys, it's great to be here. I'm looking forward to the show and, uh, and talking to you guys. Well, Mike, you know, we, we have a lot in common. Uh, you know, two things I know we have in common. One, I love a good night's sleep. And two, I'm a Minnesota Viking fan, which, you know, we don't have a lot of those here in the South. Well, and we, then I know if you've been a fan, you've been, we're the most heartbroken uh, fans ever in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. You know that. Yeah. Listen, I started watching the Vikings. The, one of the first games I remember seeing was the Super Bowl in 1969 when they lost to the Chiefs. And then I was a big fan during the Fran Tarkington, George Foreman, uh, or right. Chuck Foreman years, and uh, Bud Grant, a big fan of his. And, you know, I just keep – Mike, I'm always screaming, why couldn't we get Buffalo like everybody else, you know? Right, right, right. You know that Kansas City game you talk about, it seemed like everything always happened, that Kansas City game – we are the biggest favorites ever to lose the Super Bowl at that time. They had Gatorade, and we didn't. I don't know if you know that. No. Is that where it made its debut? Yes, that's where it's made its debut, and they figured that that was, a, that was an advantage. I don't know if it covered the whole 12-point spread or whatever it was, but it uh, it was a big advantage. That's why they all switched to Gatorade, you know? And, and, Mike, I have to tell you, I got to come to your fair city really on short notice. We came up to the Final Four last year and really enjoyed getting to see U.S. Bank Stadium. Now, I thought it would be for a Vikings game, which I've never seen them play, but it was for the Final Four. But, wow, what a great place. Yeah, that, that is an awesome place. And you know the first time for me, I actually spoke there uh, to 50,000 millennials. I uh, told my testimony, and, and uh, I actually had to lead them all in prayer for a minute. So that was quite a quite a deal. It was a big evangelistic event Uh and uh, that was surreal for me to speak out to that stadium's amazing. It, it is. That'd be quite a room. I, did any of the millennials know what you meant by hard work? Did that throw them <laughs> off? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, uh, I'll tell you everything I said to those millennials. They listened. Uh, my, you, you kind of parlayed into you know your incredible testimony. Uh, we had a chance on the on the main show to talk to you before, and, and we are familiar with it, but. But so many people that are listening to this podcast right now may be hearing your story for the first time as far as in detail. And, and I think it's an important story, especially now, uh, because the problems that we have with the opioid uh, addictions and, and so many people that are, that are trapped in drug addictions and alcohol addiction, and, and they think to themselves, there's just no hope. This, this, uh, this is never uh, – there is no other life but this, and this is how I will die. And, and your, your story about redemption and addiction and then at the same time, you know, the entrepreneur spirit, uh, you know, with our country providing the opportunities that only this country provides, it's an incredible story, and I'd love if you tell it for those that are listening. Yeah, and you know, if our country does need hope, and that's what my book's going to do. It's going to tell you what I'm, a lot, what I'm going to tell you right now. But um, right now, addiction affects everybody. It doesn't matter how many forks we eat with. And my my addiction goes back. I come from. I believe all addiction comes from a lot of it from childhood, from fatherlessness, from wounds. Um, from trauma, that's why veterans later on, you get trauma and, and um, addiction right now affects all of us. And for me, I go back to, I was, I come from a divorced family when I was seven years old. This is back when divorces weren't common. 
So I got put into a new school and I couldn't talk to people. I was very shy or I would show up. I would jump out bus windows and say, hey, watch this. And moving bus windows or I'd be going, I went motorcycle, I'd get in a car, an accident and a parachute wouldn't open on my uh, skydiving. And I would sit and brag about this just to get attention. But yet I wouldn't talk. Uh, I couldn't talk. So for me, um, all that, those things manifested into, it got to be in the 1980s, all of a sudden I was introduced to cocaine, and boy, then I could talk your ear off. I yeah, felt yeah. it was a false confidence, and and uh, I ended up, I got at a 20-year marriage, and with kids, I was a very functioning addict, and I ended up, even with my entrepreneur, I ended up getting small bars I bought. I bought these small town bars, and not a good place for an addict, but, mm. but then... Uh, and it was interesting, too, is if somebody came in from out of town and I wasn't high or hadn't had anything to drink, and I was the only one in the bar with him, I'd say, yeah, here you go. Let me know if you need anything else. And I'd be in the corner. I wish you would leave. You know, if you don't talk to people, you can't get rejected. So it's, so for me, it was very much uh, uh, the cocaine was a mask for things that had happened in childhood and, and stuff. But then it all switched to crack cocaine in this, in 2000. Now, I couldn't do anything Anybody that's, you know, with crack, it's a different drug than cocaine. And and I had sold my bars. It was devastating at the time. But I um, I had this dream. God gave me the dream of a pillow in 2004. And I'm writing my pillow all over upstairs. And my daughter came upstairs. Uh, it was about 2 in the morning. And she goes, there was my pillow wrote everywhere. And mys weren't common back then. I think I might have been the first my. And she goes, what are you doing? She's like 10 years old. I said, well, I'm going to invent this pillow. It's going to be called my pillow. It's going to change the world. And she, she grabs her glass of water. She goes, that's really random, dad. And heads back downstairs. <laughs> well, well, I spent a year and a half, it put all my energy into inventing my pillow. So I stayed away kind of with the crack then with the drugs and just putting everything into, into getting this to fruition. And when I did finally get the exact uh, thing I wanted, and it was right, and I was turned down everywhere. Box stores, every place turned me down. And I ended up doing uh, a kiosk. Someone said, Mike, why don't you do a kiosk? I said, how do you spell that? <laughs> and, uh, we, we did this kiosk, and that kind of failed. Well, then this, uh, I ended up doing a home and garden show in Minnesota, and I put a table in between me and the people so I could actually talk to them without them coming in the booth so I could. And, uh, and the first thing, the first day I sold pillows that people came back the next day and said, wow, this changed my life. And, and for me, it wasn't about the money. It made me feel good inside. It got some of my self-worth back. I think so many addicts, their self-worth, they just don't think they're worthy. And then you combine that with lack of hope. It just keeps manifesting into bad, bad things happening. And, but that made me feel good. And they, uh, but still, I had this parallel track. I had all this betrayal. People tried to t take my company, and uh, that it worked for me. And and people tried to do all kinds of stuff. But, and plus, my own self, uh, my own self um, um, destruction. And what I did then, um, I ended or I ended up getting a twenty a divorce. We lost our house, a divorce of twenty years. And in two by two thousand eight, my pillow was just a little pulse on a, you know, like a heart, you know, just a little bit of a pulse going on. And, and I was up for, uh, I had been up for 14 days in downtown Minneapolis, hiding out. I had a warrant out actually for my arrest and which I was found innocent on later. 
but but I'm down there and I'm living in one of the worst parts of Minneapolis or hiding out. And I come out of the bedroom and all three of my, the biggest drug dealers are there. And I go, you guys know each other? Well, they knew of each other, but they didn't know each other. And they, and they said, yeah, you've been up for 14 days. We're cutting you off. It was here. It was an intervention by my drug dealers. Now that and, is a wake up call. Who yeah. can say that, the, that they actually had drug dealers that were part of their intervention, intervention right. of drug addiction. <laughs> Who can say that? Yeah. And, and uh, and what happened then is they um they actually went um they actually I went down they two of them left and I went down to the streets of Minneapolis when the one finally fell asleep and I came back upstairs after I couldn't get crumb by crack anywhere for about an hour I came back upstairs and he's waiting up for me and he goes he goes Mike he says uh, how'd that work out for you and he goes give me your phone I'm I'm gonna take a picture he goes you're gonna need this for your book you've been telling us for years that this that this pillow thing is just a platform for God, and you're going to come back and help us all someday get out of this addiction, and we're not going to let you die on us. And I would tell him that stuff all the time. Now, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I, I got. Let me be sure I have this right. So you're so addicted to crack, you're staying up for 14 days. The my pillow thing has started, but it's just a blip. And you right. knew you knew that was a vision you were given, and you thought you'd have a chance to change the world with it. And the right. drug dealers, you were constantly telling them it was a vision from God, and they were right. trying to keep you alive because they thought that this thing you kept talking about may one day f- be fulfilled, so much so it might help them? A- absolutely. And I had told that to my friends and stuff, too. My, I would be in bar after the bars closed. I would tell my friends that. A lot of them would quit that night, and I didn't quit myself i'm going what am i saying to my friends they're all quitting you know, i'm losing friends and <laughs> and but yeah they they really they believed me and and to finish that it even uh <clears throat> two days later two days later and i don't tell this much of the story but i went to sleep that night and two days later i had to deliver papers to my brother and take a chance of getting arrested uh is a half hour out to where we were running our business our company out of a little schoolhouse one room and I had to get these papers to him or or my pillow wouldn't even be here. Well, so I took a chance after I slept for two days. I drove out there. Sure enough, Larry, the town cop, passed me as I was pulling into the parking lot. And he goes, Mike, stop right there. And I said, Larry, I said, I know you're going to arrest me anyway. But I said, if these papers don't get to my brother, I said, something to do with the future and God. I said, millions of people are going to get affected if you don't let me deliver these papers. And I said, I know you're going to arrest me anyway, but next Tuesday I'll be found innocent. And if I'm not, you can arrest me anytime. And I promise I'll have cocaine on me. And he let, he let my, uh, he let my brother come down and get that. Now I'm going to fast forward nine years. This last fall I seen or 10 years. I've seen Larry for the first time. I was in a town parade in, in Carver, Minnesota. And Larry pulled up in his squad car and he gets off got him a squad he goes Mike I go Larry and he goes do you remember what I did for the people am I in that book and I, and I, and I got off I got off the float and I said Larry I said why did you believe me and he goes Mike he said you were always so transparent and he said I looked in your eyes and you believed it yourself and I said I'm not going to be responsible for changing if this is really true and um and so that, so he's actually a picture of him and I in the book, but they, uh, but, it, but I didn't quit there. I went to, I would say a couple more things here. 
I, my friend came to me in December of 2008, and he was my exact match. We had both done cocaine at the same time. We had both switched to crack at the same time. But he had been straight for four years. And I heard he had found the Lord, and he come walking in the door, and I was all by myself, but nothing left. And he says, he said, hey, what's up, Mike? I said, well, Dick. I said, how are you doing? I said, as long as you're here, Dick, I got some questions for you. I said, is it boring? And he said, no, man, it ain't boring. And he sat and answered questions for me. He was like my, I call it my hope match. He was my hope. And a month later, I quit everything. It was like my calling was going to be gone. I prayed to God that I could, that I wouldn't have the desire anymore for the drugs and alcohol and all this stuff. I woke up the next day and it was, I go, wow, something's different. And that, and the, the desires were gone. And I said, okay, now let's do this platform thing. Well, well, um, two months later, though, I ended up going to my church. Uh, there was an outpatient treatment there, a faith-based. I had been through all kinds of treatment centers, secular centers. But I felt led to go there, and I learned a lot of stuff of why I was an addict in the first place. And they planted seeds that would follow me um, for a long time until I got completely saved on February 18, 2017. But they... Uh, from that point on, I've never, I never looked back with the drugs. Well, I, I want to ask you. This is important because what you said really, really resonated uh, with with me. Because you know, I, I've been called to do a, a lot with men's ministry, and and I've seen it in my own life. You know, we all have a testimony, and and I saw it in my own life. And you said something to your brother that really resonated. Is it boring? And, right. and, I, and I think that there's a lot, especially men, because the way God made us, I see this all the time in men. They're not, they, they hold back right to the point of submitting to Christ, right, right. to, right to the point of repentance, because they, right. they, I think we all innately know, I know I did, and it sounds like you did too, that though salvation is free and though we're going to be saved by grace through faith, it will cost us our sins. And, 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 and there's that moment where especially men aren't quite sure that the life under the authority of Christ will be as adventurous, as fulfilling, and let's just say it, as, <laughs> as, as much fun, as exciting. A, as exciting as sin. Now, sin is eventually going to kill us, and I think somewhere back in our mind we know that, but we always have that, but just a little bit longer, let me, let me play these games, because if I submit to you, you're going to take this away. Right, and you know what? This is what you said there. All through 2008, I sat there and go, okay, God, if you have this big platform for me, I, I can procrastinate. I can wait. That sounds terrible. I'm going to wake up and have all this responsibility on my shoulder. It's not going to be any fun and all this stuff. And, and you know, when I did quit everything and I did, go, you know, quit it and I didn't have the desire anymore and those seeds were planted at that faith-based center, you got to realize for the next, I'll fast forward the story, um, I got to, you know, I ended up getting my company back and getting my shows back. They were all taken from me at that time. It gets up to 2011. And in 2011, I told my friends and family, if no one's going to take us, well, I want to do an infomercial and bring it right to the people. And we all pooled our money. Everybody believed in me that we pooled our money and we made this infomercial. And I wanted it to be a real audience. And I wanted me to be in it and talk to the people like I did at the show even though I still couldn't talk in front of people, but I just, at shows I could. Well, we went to film this and I told, oh, you're going to need an actor and you can't, this isn't going to work. So I, I told those people that I wasn't hiring them. Well, this real producer came in on the night of the, 
we were doing our lines and we're doing our lines and a guy texts the other guy said this is the worst guy i've ever seen he'll never make it on tv this is a disaster why did you invite me here and the next day i couldn't talk to the crowd and we had to finally bring in a table take down the teleprompter and and um and do it that way and it aired october 7th in the middle of the night i was living in my sister's basement uh, october 7 2011 I had 10 employees. 40 days later, I had 500 employees. It just exploded. Well, you always see me on TV where I'm getting to the point here. You always see me on TV wearing my cross. And I would I would sit, people would call up when I was the only call center. And, and I wasn't saved yet. I hadn't done a full surrender. These people would argue with me on the phone and they'd be saved. I go, take that. They'd be saved by the time I got off the phone. <laughs> and I'm still going, what did I say to these people? I go, you know, you don't tell me I can't wear my cross. I believe in God. Well, well, in 2014, um, you know, I didn't fully release. Like I say, I, I, you know, you know, when I asked my friend, was it boring? Well, my, I met this gal, Kendra, in the summer of 14. My pillow was within two days of going under. We were millions of dollars in debt. I didn't know what I had done wrong. I, I know other, you know, I took everything in house then and started doing it ourselves. But Kendra had, she goes, she had something I didn't have, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And right. she goes, Mike. You need that. He goes, you don't have that. You, you know, you're not saved. And I go, what do you mean? I believe in God. I wear my cross on TV. And, and um, she goes, no, you're just posing or whatever. You're just, you're just, you know, tell, you know, you're not, you don't have that. And I knew she was right. And I, and this kept going on and on. But then miracles in my life started happening. Uh, for example, I get invited to the White House um, for, uh, for the round table for Made in America with the president and my friends are all seeing me on TV. What's this crack addict doing on TV with the president? <laughs> Jesus is real. And they're all, they're all surrendering on the spot. And I'm going, and I, I, uh, <laughs> I got all the way up to February 18, 2017. That's only a couple years ago. And I went into this thing. It was very similar to what I had been in that faith-based treatment center I went in, it was for Operation Restored Warrior. It was like a retreat of five days. And and I went in there with hope and I came out, I did a full surrender. I mean, it was amazing. And I came out of there to where now I could go out and speak out for Jesus like I did a pillow. And, and shortly after that's when here's a guy that couldn't talk, went to US Bank Stadium and spoke out to, you know, to 50,000 millennials and led them in prayer. I didn't even know how to pray. The words just came out, you know. So fascinating story. And, and I want to tell everybody the book you keep referring to uh, is What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO Mike Lindell? And, and you can pre order this book now. Uh, and uh, you, you just simply go to mystore.com, mystore.com, pre order it. You'll have it by Christmas. And then the proceeds from this will help fund the Lindell Recovery Network uh, that, of course, Mike, you are, you are giving back to help those that had the same issues you had. Right. Absolutely. The uh, that recovery network, um, what I'm doing is I'm taking, um, it's going to be an amazing uh, app. You're going to go to it. You're going to see all these stories. You know, a 20, like a 20 year old heroin addict might not relate to a 50 year old meth addict. And I'm going to put, there's going to be all these hope matches up there. The, like if you put in a 30 year old meth addict, and all you're gonna all you're gonna see is all these videos, thousands of them of 30-year-old meth addicts 
that tell what they didn't like about the drug, not their bottoms. Addicts can't relate to bottoms because they're either going to go, I'm either worse than that or I'm not as good as that. And then I'm tying it in. I vetted uh, thousands of uh, faith-based centers, the ones that work out there, your Teen Challenge, your Union Gospel, your Salvation Armies, and uh, 3,500 centers. And these right now they've monetized addiction in our country, and everybody's trying to prey on the families, yeah. saying, oh, addiction's a disease. You need to come to our secular treatment center and spend $30,000 of your insurance money. Oh, you don't have insurance? Cash in your 401k. Come on, you got to help your addict. You know what? They don't work. And number one is that it's it's a shame that this the addict gets out of there. You wasted your money. He gets out and he's got as much pain as when he went in. And now he doesn't even have his drugs or alcohol to mask it. And and it's and in our country, all these faith-based centers, they're not even a full occupancy because they don't spend the money on the advertising and the and the, the adwords on Google and all this stuff that they fight over that fight over the addict's family's money. And it's a shame. And this platform that I'm going to have is going to help millions, not hundreds of thousands, millions of addicts. I was with the president when he signed the opiate bill last fall. And the stuff he's doing, he's so passionate about wiping out this addiction and wiping out addiction in, in our country. And I really believe by showing people hope and, and then show, showing them where that hope is, and that hope is Jesus, and that hope is getting getting those wounds filled and getting those that trauma, getting those caps filled, so you have a foundation when you come out of these centers and you and uh, and you get help that you don't because right you're not going to have trust by everybody when you got my you know the first one that trusted me was my drug dealers they knew I wasn't buying again they wouldn't mm-hmm. even sell to me. You know? <laughs> Mike, since you you mentioned President Trump, um, talk to us a little bit about him and 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 business how how your relationship has grown. There's a lot of people, obviously, in our country that doesn't care for the president, uh, even though we're having some amazing economic growth. Is, right. is your tie with that? Do you, do you look at that as a, as a threat to your business? Are there people who will not try your product because of that? Or how do you, how do you balance all that out? Well, I'm going to say this right now. Um, everyone said, what's my best day at my pillow? You guys, it's right today. Every day we get busier and busier. So any businessman that's afraid of backing the greatest president in history should think again. Um, I met him in the summer of 2016. I knew nothing about politics. I come out of a culture coma from being a drug addict. I didn't know a liberal from a conservative or a Democrat from a Republican. I had never voted. I didn't know anything about politics. And he reached out to me in the summer of 2016 before he was president. Now, by then, I had started to learn. I had prophetically believed that I was going to end up meeting with him. Things kept happening to me. I I went to a national prayer breakfast that that I'd never been to before. And I got picked out of 12 people to pray with Ben Carson when he was still running for president. So these little mini divine appointments kept happening. But Donald Trump reached out to me and said, Mike, would you meet me at Trump Tower in New York City? And... I was a private meeting. <laughs> I met with him. We talked about, I talked to him about addiction, addiction I had, that I was a former crack addict. We talked about the inner city. He talked about what he was going to do to bring the jobs back, like, like made in America, like my pillow, made in the USA. And we went on for 40 minutes, and I walked out and I said, I don't know anything else, but this guy's going to be the greatest president in history. But I, <laughs> I didn't, bless you. I didn't stop there. I went to his employees and said I couldn't believe that was for real. 
and they go, oh, yeah, he's the best boss ever. He's the best. He was went out of his way. And I go, and I just knew when I went out there, he was it's, he was the real deal. He, there was no hidden agenda. He really wanted to help each and every one of us in this country. Well, I went all in, as you know, I went completely all in against uh, advice from everybody. And I said, I know this is, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. God's God's chosen him, and I believe that, and I believe God told me what I was supposed to do regardless of the consequences. Well, when I went all in, of course, you all know that the Better Business Bureau of Minnesota, after he won, they went, they gave me, went from an A-plus to an F rating. I was attacked there. I was attacked in the media. I was all these attacks, but you know what? All that did was give me more fame, and more people bought pillows, and the business got busier and busier. And now I can sit here before everyone and go, you know what? I was right. Everything he said he was going to do, I look around me now. My friends are all employed. There's the lowest unemployment for black and Hispanics and women and ever. Um, the consumer confidence, I see entrepreneurs like me out there that, that are taking chances now in business and entrepreneurship because they have great paying jobs now to fall back on. These are the best times ever, and the media ruins it for everyone, saying, oh, there's a recession coming, or this and that, or here's some more <laughs> fake news, and, and uh, you know, we're going to try and impeach them. You know, those are, that's a joke. They're trying to destroy the best thing we've ever got going for us, and we keep down this path, and it's absolutely amazing. You look around you, the best, wall, the best uh, uh, in, um, stock market, I mean, I'm just so excited because – I did. I took the right path, and I'm very proud of it. And my business reaps the rewards every single day. I'll say one more thing: when you say, when they say boycott these companies or whatever, you know what they say about my pillow now on Twitter? They'll go boycott Mike Lindell and my pillow. Another guy will say, "Don't do that. He'll just double his ads." We see enough of that jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but you, the, you know, it, yeah. on that point, Mike, it is amazing. It, there's enough we can argue about in this country. We can yeah. argue how we're going to spend sure. money. We can argue this and that. It seems like we all could get on the same page of what we're doing economically is working to keep doing it. To me, that's really not a Democrat, Republican. No. It's not a conservative or liberal issue, is it? I mean, that's a business issue. No, and that's I think a business we should issue. All be behind and you know that. what? It's a common sense issue. And, you know, when I talk to people, I just did my – I have my movie, my controversial movie, Unplanned, that I'm in and that I help finance. And, yeah. and that was um, about abortion, you know, the right. Planned story. Well, I was out in California for that red carpet event. And, you know, there's people out there that were that were protesting, whatever. But they all come up to me and want my picture. And they go, Mike, I love what you're doing, but what's wrong with your brain that you back the president? And I'll <laughs> sit there and talk to them and go, you guys, look around you. What's what? Have you ever had it so good? And they'll, and I will actually get them to come into the swimming pool. Go, guys, the water's fine. Come on in. That's what I'm doing right now for the for the president. I you know, and for Minnesota and for the country. I want to tell everyone. You know what? This isn't about this, those politicians that sit in Washington. This is about our everyday lives. You guys, come on over here. Let's all get together and enjoy where the path we're taking this just because you might not like the president because he's different than what you're used to and he tells it like it is and you might not like him personally but i know him personally and you know what what you see he's got a heart of gold he cares about each and every person he's as far from racist as i am all these things they say about it is the biggest lies in the history because it's all about power 
They want more power. They want where they want to bring us back to where things were. Why not? They called me the other day. The news called me and said, I give all the bad news or the bad uh, uh, fake places off. My direct phone number because I don't want to misquoting me. I got a call. This is before the next fake news about the impeachment. They called me up in the morning. I won't name the paper, but you all probably know at least which one of two. And they <laughs> call me up and go, "Yeah, Mike, um, you know that the there's a uh, we think there's a recession coming, and the president says it's just fake news that we're doing that people are the media is doing that to ruin the economy." And I go. Of course, the media is doing that to ruin the best economy ever. It is fake news. And I kept him on the phone for 45 minutes and never came up for air. And he, he couldn't wait to get off the phone and never print the story. I'm not going to call Mike Lindell anymore. I don't get paid enough. You know what I told the next guy that called me from the news? I, I said, you know what? This economy is so good. Maybe you can get a job you enjoy instead of trying to keep pumping out fake stuff all the time that you, that you have no control over. And that's what I told them. They draw straws at some of these places and go, I, like on Armageddon, who has to stay on the asteroid? I, who's got to call? Who's going to call Mike Lindell? They pull out a straw. No, I don't get paid enough. Things about the president and Jesus. And then the uh, the other one, I'll tell you guys one more funny one. They they did a they did. A, I'm not even going to say what the cartoon is, but it's a very famous show now on Showtime, and and it was written by people on the left actually, and and. One of the scenes is the Democrats are in a room and they go, what are we going to do with Mike Lindell? And the one guy goes, well, I, I, what do you mean? And he goes, well, he ruined half of his, didn't you hear? He ruined half his brain when he was on crack. And now he has no realization of any self-doubt. <laughs> That's a good line. That's a great line. pillows and said, I'll come on your show anytime. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the pillow, obviously, you know, what's happened there is, is just incredible. And, and, but I, I think one of the things that, that you, you're, you, you know, with the book that you're talking about in your story, certainly you're telling the most important story and that is redemption is available and we're all equal at the foot of the cross and whatever the problem, the answer is Jesus. But, Absolutely. but, but on the other thing, which is less important, but still a lot of people listening to this, this country, the, your story of entrepreneurship and the my pillow story could not happen in any other country. And, and absolutely. And, and we've yeah. got to, we've got to stop demonizing the very things that allowed you Bubba and me to be able to, to, you know, pursue uh, our dreams, reach our potential, and to reach yeah. our potential through, through or in my, my case, overshooting. Well, that, well, Bub and I right. made a living at low expectations, but but the bottom line is maximize our our ability through maximum liberty and and trying to restrain the government. It's almost like we've got people and and politicians that want to make sure that the next generation doesn't have the same opportunities afforded us. No, absolutely. And it starts, you know, we, when they took God out of schools and they took family values out, you know, and, and things like this. But it's funny how you have uh, people in California, uh, you know, are moving to Texas that because they've ruined there, then they move there and they want to bring the same things there. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm going, what? Or how about Minnesota when you have um, all these uh, people that came there um, with like with Omar and they came there and they want us to. They don't want to assimilate. They want to bring bring a whole other culture with them and tell us that this is the way we should be. You know what? You came here. You should you should do what you know what we do in our country, the stuff that made us who we are, where you can have stories of hope and entrepreneurship and chances, what our veterans fought for, what our you know, 
They fought for our freedoms. We have freedoms here you don't have anywhere else in the world. And you can't, if you, it's great, you know, you have people come here legally, but you know what, you could, you should come here and you should, you know, be what, be who we are. And the, the opportunities don't change how we got these opportunities in the first place, because we've been going down a path for 50 years getting this. You know, people ask me all the time, they say, what's the best thing the president's done so far? One stands above all others. You smash political correctness or none of this stuff could be getting done. We everyone be sitting in a corner going, oh, you know, boy, I don't like that. But I'm not going to say anything because that'll be politically incorrect. You know, it started in the to me in the 90s. I'm looking around going, what do you mean? Everybody's getting first place trophy here at my kids game. And they go, well, little Johnny last year cried. He didn't get a first place trophy. Well, little Johnny sucked at the game. He said, what's he going to do when he's 15 and he doesn't get a first place trophy? You know, and where's my trophy? I mean, give me a break. This is uh, it starts with our schools. And and, you know, that's like um, I know a lot of a lot of things that are going on right now to bring family values and God back into our schools and and our colleges. And that's uh, it's got to start there or right now we need we have we're in the biggest. This revival in, in history, I tell people, I want to help lead that revival so we can get people with my platform, get people back to where we were so we can show this generation, give them hope and say, wow, that was the right direction, the right direction we're going now. And because otherwise all they have, they, they're sitting there with no hope now and they don't know what to do. You know, I mean, it's crazy. Let's give them a crying room in a, in a college to go cry. I mean, it's just bizarre. <laughs> I had to give you a Viking horn on that one, Mike. Yeah, Mike, we, we may need you to coach the Vikings on the side a little bit. Uh, at least give them the pep talk. I mean, come on. Mike, let me let me ask you this. How – I mean, you've been wildly successful. I'm sure the other people who make betting products have come to you and said, hey, let us write you a check. But you've resisted that so far. Yeah, yeah, I resisted right away, even overseas. You know, back then they- – my friends and people that knew me, they're going, Mike's going to invent a pillow. What is he on crack? You know, <laughs> um, but they, uh, you know, it was a joke. And then, and then people said, you can't make anything here. You have to make it overseas. And I'm going, I don't want to make it over there. I want to make it here so I can see that everything that goes off the line is exactly what I want it to be. Or why not use this myself? And, and I, um, you know, I've been offered money, but most of the time they just try and take your products that's what's happened in our country you get products that are invented and with my pillow i had a guy approach me at the minnesota state fair and he go it was from a bedding company back in 2005 and he said are you the guy that invented this pillow he goes yeah and he goes well we checked it out this will last 10 years he said he goes you have a patent i didn't have one yet and he goes this will never see big retail at all because he goes you hear about you don't hear about the cars that got the guy that invented the ones that got 200 miles a gallon he said they will go behind you get the patent and never put this product on the market. And I listened and lucky I got one. And then it was like, my pillow got so big so fast. It's like, it's too late to close the gate. The cows are out of the barn. But what usually happens in this country is entrepreneurs, their products get copied. They get co- you know copied and they get put in. But all of a sudden you go to a box where you see this as seen on TV and there's, there's your product already there, or you don't have a safe platform you go up on Amazon, there's products from overseas, they buy AdWords or they copy you, Crooked Google copies you. They all copy, they all, they're all they all in cahoots. They don't care if products work. They only care if they sell in those in the big box stores and everywhere and on Amazon. 
And right now, that's why I invented my, or I'm coming out with mystore.com. So it's a safe platform for entrepreneurs to go up and they, and their products aren't taken. And, and I, I just, um, and making stuff overseas, let me tell you, if your platform changes, if your, if your footprint changes, now your product's on the sea. One of the things I have to, I'll tell you a story. I don't have, uh, I can't make sheets in the United States. We don't have any weavers or spinners left. Nobody can make sheets here. So I make, I don't, mine have to come over from India and with my cotton and then, and then they're shipped over. Well, here I had a, I had a, a ship in the, that blew up in the Atlantic Ocean last January, started on fire. Even though mine weren't damaged, I had to pay over a million dollars to get my sheets back. Um, and anything can happen overseas. One thing that can happen is you get your product and it's not what you expected, or, or it's sitting on a boat coming over and you end up having to pay money to airship it in, or you get it and now you now you need more product and you can't get it, or you need it less and you're stuck with it. It's a it's absolutely joke and for every company that leaves the united states this is what i told the president at that round table back when he invited me to the white house you know a companies that leave the united states this was a snowmobile company years ago they left the united states do you know how many companies followed them the ones that made the seats did the ones that made the nuts and bolts mm -hmm. the ones that made the tracks the ones that made the skis four companies followed them over it wasn't just uh, you know a thousand employees it was ten thousand some employees and this is what has happened for years of things of like a one-way street leaving our country. The president's bringing them all back, and it's absolutely amazing. You mentioned Amazon.com. Uh, let's talk about where we're headed. Uh, it, it, I mean, retail obviously <laughs> has felt the, the the hit of this, and and we're we're free market people. We're entrepreneurs. Right. We're like as things change, you got to adjust to them. But is the Amazon thing is it is it concerning to you? Yeah, it's one of my biggest concerns. Amazon's a monster, and all of all of uh, all the platforms—Google, um, Zuckerbuck from Facebook, all of them, uh, Twitter—you got all these. You got all these uh, platforms where they don't pay. They don't have to pay on the internet. They don't have to pay rent of a box store. They don't have to pay all these things a box store owner has to pay, and they just keep got grabbing more and more and what's happened is i've seen it i could sit here and name all the retail box stores that have went under just in the last year and a half these are major retailers i've said it before i believe if we don't stop this now that our, our cities are going to become a ghost towns our malls first the box stores go under the anchor stores then you're going to have your theaters go under you're going to have your uh, gas stations go under because everything is positioned with these big malls and with these big places where you have these big box stores. And if the, you know, you have a few that kept up that have the dot com, but I believe, and I don't, and I'll say it straight out, I believe that we need, we're long overdue for an internet tax. My pillow would give even tax. It's just a gross sales internet tax. And you start with Amazon and you whack him for about 20, he'd probably eat the tax. You whack him for 20, 30% so that he has to pay a rent. And, and he either passes it on to the consumers, or if they, if you're charged more on Amazon, at least balance it. So the same thing, if you went to a box store, you pay the same price or less than going on Amazon, have it delivered to your door with a drone, and people don't even leave their houses anymore. And uh, Or you go into an Amazon store with no people, and uh, you, you take something by accident, you get shot with a drone when you leave. I mean, these are, <laughs> these are you know, to, to me, the way this country's going, 
we have huge problems with Amazon. And then, and then you know, they use the U.S. Post Office for a while there. You could get stuff delivered by the U.S. Post Office from Amazon on a Sunday. I couldn't get my stuff delivered on a, on a Sunday. And, and now I think they quit that because they got caught or whatever. Who knows? But when he finally backs off from the U.S. Post Office, who's going to bail them out? You know, because Amazon's going to be delivering all their stuff. He's, you know, there's one thing about having a monopoly, but to, but if you're destroying the rest of the world or the rest of the country, and it's it's very scary. And it's uh, it's one of the things that I think, you know, and Amazon was built, you know, back when Amazon came out in the Internet, nobody, everyone was supposed to pay sales tax. You still are on your honor. Well, Amazon didn't have Nexus in states back then, so you got to order stuff off Amazon and not pay your sales tax you were supposed to. Well, once that once they got a Nexus in every state, then all of a sudden now it's it's his free shipping because he's made such bad deals we did with our U.S. Post Office, and the president's been all over this before too. I mean, I mean, um, he would have been the first world's trillionaire, but now he got divorced, so he split that in half for now. But but we've got. Uh, you know, it's not about what he's making for money. It's about what he's destroying to get to where he's going. And Google can be just as bad. Google breaks more antitrust laws than any company I've seen. I can't buy a ad on Google Marketplace because on Google Marketplace, you've got to have a thousand SKUs. I don't have a thousand SKUs at my pillow, so I can't even buy my own ads. That's comparable. Think if it was the 1970s and I told you guys, I, I, I'm a mayor of a town. I say, you know what? The biggest company in town gets to go pound boards on everybody else's business, pound signs, but you don't get to advertise on his. I mean, there's so many things that are so bad right now with the Silicon Valley companies, with the big, with big, um, the, the all of them. From I mean, and by the way, the uh, here's another thing as you got me on the subject. Do you know our patents in this country? They don't even copy them anymore. You know what they do? They go to our patent office and they get them overturned. They, they discredit a patent, so I, I don't know if people get paid off or what, but almost 80% of our patents are getting overturned. Anytime some big company wants to go steal your patent, they just go get it overturned. Yeah, that's wow. crazy. And, Mike, I wish we had more time to talk about the Amazon thing because it has become such a way of life. And, you know, we're free market guys, but you see their situation. It's not, it's not fair. It's not an equal playing field. Right. Right. So they take advantage of that, and then they turn around, and the uh, after all of that that you described on the back end, they pay zero in federal taxes. Right, and that's another thing, too. They keep getting bigger and not paying those taxes or rolling them over, and that was another thing, too. I think, you know, in our country, and, I, and I, this I'm going to say I don't know as much about this as I do these other things, but in our country, if I at my pillow, I pay income tax in every state. Every single state. It's not like an old thing where I can just run down to Florida and not pay uh, my tax because I sell my pillow in all these states. So we do 50 tax returns. Okay. Now you take a, you take an Amazon. I would bet the corporate the the people in that company that are making money. Uh, I'll bet they're you know they're going overseas and putting it and the money ends up in banks like in Ireland. Why couldn't we have an international nexus law where if you did this much business in the United States? You should pay X amount of your taxes here in, in the United States, like Mr. Amazon or Mr. Apple or all these big all these big companies. And I, you know, they, you know, whether they're made overseas, where are you selling them? I have to pay tax on where I'm selling them, you know, where I'm selling my pillow. But 
I really believe that you need some kind of, something's got to change. And I think if you tax the internet, it would solve the national debt so fast, it would, it would just be instant. And you combine that with, uh, with getting rid of, when you have all the illegals that are being paid cash by these crooked companies that are paying ta- cash to illegals, underpaying them besides that, and not paying their competitor that's over here paying a legal wage and paying federal taxes, you start holding these companies accountable and putting those guys in prison because they're cheating the American public out of $65 billion in unpaid taxes, and they're using it as a guy's for We're helping people out by paying them cash. No, you're using cartel money. That's the only way you could be getting all this cash and laundering money. I mean, there's so many things going on that our country needs to be fixed and, and uh and it's big companies that are, do, that are doing the most damage. Mike Lindell, thank you for being with us. I want to hit you again. The book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO. It's a fascinating story. And in the book, you get it in great detail. Available at mystore.com. And, of course, uh, all the proceeds will help fund the Lindell Recovery Network. And it will get to you by Christmas. Mike Lindell, thank you for being with us on Rick and Bubba University. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on, guys. God bless you. You too.